0: Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. I just feel a real sense of accomplishment each time I get to, like, say a new chapter in the book of Acts. We are doing it. We are really doing it, people. You're doing it, Peter. Come on. Hook? It's classic. You're afraid you're going to get sucked out. Anyways, I digress. Acts 19, some of you are like, I have no idea where you're going with this. That's okay. Watch Hook, and you'll know. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. We're beginning today a a series of studies that's going to take us through chapter 19, where we're going to be looking at Paul's time of ministry in Ephesus, because all of Acts chapter 19 focuses on uh, the, the work of the spirit of god there in the city of ephesus what god was doing through paul's ministry And not just through paul's ministry, but the ministry of the believers uh, In this city in part one today. Our main text is going to be acts 19 verses 1 through 10 But just for some some brief context last week as we uh, Finished out chapter 18. We we studied verses 23 through twenty-eight, we saw Paul beginning his third missionary journey. He leaves Syrian Antioch. He begins to head northwest up, uh, in order, making his way back across modern-day Turkey. He traveled through the areas of Galatia and Phrygia, or as some people call it Phrygia. It's fine. You can say you know what with Bible names, just roll with it. What I found, no one really knows. Most of us are actually mispronouncing it even when we're trying really hard to pronounce things. The Y is actually pronounced more like a U. Um, so so just, just go, just go with it. So Phrygia, he's making his way through and as he's doing that, we saw that, that God was making Paul this instrument of strengthening to all the disciples. Everywhere that Paul went, God was making Paul this vessel to build up The body of Christ. Everywhere he went, people were leaving feeling strengthened in the Lord. An amazing work that God was doing in that season of time as Paul was now starting his third missionary journey. And as he's doing that, we start to find there's a guy named Apollos who uh, has made his way to Ephesus. He's preaching. He's teaching accurately what he knew, but it was incomplete. Aquila and Priscilla have this discernment, and they see, you know what, there's something lacking in Apollos' life and ministry, and so they come alongside of him, they take him aside after after they had heard him preaching in the synagogue, and Aquila and Priscilla are now made a source of strengthening in Apollos' life. They... Helped equip him to be able to know even more fully about the Lord and be able to minister even more effectively for the Lord, and and there's this trickle down effect. Paul had ministered to Aquila and Priscilla in his second missionary journey. He left them in Ephesus. Paul's now ministering to these other saints and. Galatia and Phrygia, now Aquila and Priscilla are are becoming the source of strengthening in this man Apollos' life. And then after that, we see that Apollos begins to be the source of strengthening to the believers in Achaia, the city of Corinth, as he travels over into Achaia. And he greatly helped those who believed by grace and refuted the Jews publicly testifying that Jesus is the Christ and so we see this this emphasis and we saw this emphasis in our study last week on this kind of ongoing strengthening work not not just that people were leaving feeling strengthened by someone else or strengthened by the Lord but that that work of strengthening that God was doing in them was then becoming an outflow into other people's lives it wasn't just staying with them like gosh thank you lord that now i'm strong stinks for everyone else that's not quite as strong hope they get their act together lord one day you know lord just bless them work in them no these believers were then actively intentionally seeking to minister to one another to build up others and just what a great example that is for us, how we need to grab a hold of that in our own lives. Because you and I, on any given day, can be the one who's feeling strengthened in the Lord or the person that's feeling like we need to be strengthened, right? One day we're feeling like, gosh, Lord, you're, you're encouraging me and I'm feeling blessed and you're, you're doing something in my life. And it could be even later that day that you're going, Lord, I'm discouraged and things are hard and I don't know what life's all about. What am I supposed to be doing? And Lord, there's this struggle and I'm feeling, you know, and all of a sudden we're needing to be on the receiving end of that strengthening work. And just knowing that God is wanting to continue that in each of our lives. There's such an amazing picture there for us that we saw in those verses last week. Things that are very much connected to what we're going to see in our study today. And so with that context in mind, we're now going to read uh, the majority of verse 1 of chapter 19. And so Acts 19, verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Apollos had been in Ephesus. He'd been... Instructed more accurately about the way of God by Aquila and Priscilla. He'd been equipped more fully to be able to effectively teach and preach God's word, the gospel message. He received a, a letter of commendation from the believers in Ephesus. So that he would then be received, welcomed by the believers in Achaia and southern Greece. And when he arrived, as we took note of, he, he greatly helped the believers and passionately preached to unbelieving jews but now paul apollos is in corinth he's being used by the lord there paul had been traveling across turkey He had been strengthening the disciples and after about 200 mi- miles of traveling even across mountainous terrain paul now makes it back to ephesus where he had briefly visited back in chapter 18 had preached in the synagogue had reasoned with the jews who asked him to stay longer as we saw he was unwilling because his heart was set on making it to an upcoming feast in jerusalem but he told the believers there look i'm going to return to you again god willing and now we find that it was god's will god brings him back to the city of ephesus Just a little bit about Ephesus because we've not kind of considered the the cultural and historical context of this area now that we're seeing God do such a great work in, but Ephesus was located on the west coast of modern-day Turkey, right right on the Aegean Sea. It was known in that day as Asia or Asia Minor. Uh, Ephesus was actually the capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor. It was the It it was located on the Aegean coast at the mouth of a river. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, upwards of 250,000 people in population. It was a major commercial center in that day, and it was home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana, which was, uh, according to things that have been excavated, was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. Artemis or Diana was worshipped as a goddess of fertility and magic and astrology. The people there, by legend, believe she came straight from heaven itself. The practice of magic was popular in Ephesus, and because of its popularity, the phrase Ephesian writings was used. To, to describe any documents that contained magic formulas and spells. And Ephesus was known also as a place of great demonic activity, according to the Lexham Bible Dictionary and the Bible Knowledge Commentary. And these things are important because we're going to see some of these things played out in Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. And it just kind of helps provide some of the historical And cultural context so that we know the kind of area paul was ministering in and the kinds of of things he was going to face as he ministered in this city but let's continue on let's read the rest of verse 1 through verse 4 so acts 19 the end of verse 1 says if i can find it and finding some disciples he said to them did you receive the holy spirit when you believed So they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus So after Paul makes it back to Ephesus, we find that he found some disciples, but it seems from Paul's question in verse 2 that Paul has this discernment to see that something was missing, something was lacking in their lives spiritually. We don't know what prompted his questions in verses 2 and 3, but Paul first asked them, hey, guys, did did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Is clearly a question motivated by the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't see Paul asking this question every time he came in contact with somebody. Like it was his standard, like a Roman's road sort of thing. Like when he met somebody, hey, did you receive, you know, because he, it, it was specific to this situation. And they responded, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And you know, when we, first read Paul's questioning. It might strike us a bit odd, but his question helps reveal an area of lack spiritually in the lives of these disciples. Now, there are really great Bible scholars who differ in their perspective of whether these disciples that Paul found were actually saved or not. But for me personally, as I studied, and I could see where both sides were coming from, Uh, But as I studied, and partly in light of what Luke just wrote about uh, the situation with Apollos, who who lacked in some areas of knowledge in the ways of the Lord Jesus, I lean towards these disciples actually being saved people. We have to take note of the fact that Paul said these disciples had believed, and that Paul called them disciples. In fact, whenever we see the term disciple used in the book of Acts, it's always speaking of disciples believers these disciples had believed which must have been a belief connected to the person and work of jesus otherwise paul's first question would have been hey have you repented and believed in jesus for salvation and not hey did you receive the holy spirit when you believed paul's question Was was exposing an area of lack spiritually, that resulted from them not receiving all that God had for them when it came to the work of the Holy Spirit. If these men are saved, and I lean towards them being saved, Paul's not asking them if they had received the indwelling of the Spirit when they believed, because. That would have happened the moment they were saved, the moment they were regenerated, they were born again. No, I believe he's asking if they had received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them when they believed. And if you want to dive deeper, if I could give you some homework uh, into what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, his work in our lives, the gifts that he gives uh, actually, early on in our study through the book of Acts, we did two, two separate three-part studies on the person and work of the Spirit and on the gifts of the Spirit. If you go back and you find them on our website or on our church app, uh, the first three-part study is through Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 11 on Jesus' final teachings and ascension, and then the second three-part study. Which takes you through Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 on the fulfillment of the promise, but kind of six studies there that will help kind of further equip and grow you when it comes to the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if, if maybe what Paul had the discernment to see as he interacted with these men was, was a lack of spiritual power or a lack of the evidence of the agape love of God, the fruit of the Spirit in their lives that then prompted him to ask them this question and i and i think given just how the church has differed on their view of the present work of the spirit of god and the life of the church i think if you were to come across someone who was a disciple of jesus they were saved and you asked them this similar question hey did you receive the holy did you Did the Holy Spirit come upon you when you believed? You might get a a lot of different answers. They might just say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I'm kind of freaked out by the Holy Spirit. There are people, because of their past experiences in different church dynamics, where they actually came away from that church experience being freaked out i i if that's the holy spirit i don't know that i want the holy spirit upon me because that was crazy there was crazy stuff going on there people falling over like they were dying they're rolling around they're barking like dogs there's holy laughter i mean there's been a lot of kooky things in the name of the holy spirit that have happened in the church over the years That could leave somebody if they were asked, Did you did the Spirit of God pour out upon you? If this is what where Paul's sort of going with this, they might go, No thanks. Someone else might go, Yeah, of course. Someone else might go, you know what, I I don't really know what that means. I've never really heard. For some churches, they kind of bypass some of that because. They don't want to deal with the potential messiness if people are being filled with the Spirit of God and, and they maybe misuse the gifts of the Spirit that it might make things really awkward and so they just don't touch the subject at all. But the only thing that that leaves is maybe what Paul found, which is people that are missing this amazing dynamic of the work of the Spirit of God that God has provided for each and every one of us in Christ Jesus. To know what it looks like and to and what it what it is to, to be someone who walks in that spirit-filled, abundant, victorious life. There's some people that claim the name of Christ, they've been saved. By the, by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, but they're lacking in any sort of spiritual vibrancy. I just go through my day-to-day thing. I'm lacking joy. I'm, I'm lacking the love of God. I'm lacking in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, there, there's not really any spiritual giftings being manifested in my life. Not that those are indicators necessarily of, of being filled with the Spirit, but I'm I'm, I'm struggling. There's not really any victory. It's hard for me to just even do simple things that God's word calls me to. And the thing that's missing oftentimes is not, oh, you're not really saved. It's, have you received the outpouring of the spirit upon your life? Maybe the spirit of God has sealed you He sealed you for the day of redemption. You've been saved by the blood of Christ. But there's more that God wants to give you and me by His Spirit. That we would not be content with some sort of lesser thing in our relationship with Jesus. Because I don't know about you, I have settled in certain things in my life. I remember feeling so defeated even in seasons of my Christian life because of ongoing sins that I couldn't seem to get away from that you just settle into this place of like, well, I guess this is just going to be my thing that I deal with for the rest of my life. No, that shouldn't be the thing. God wants us to experience victory. If, if victory wasn't possible for you and me, there'd then be some sort of allowance like, well, just do your best. Paul saw something here, and I don't know about you, but maybe we see something in us this morning. Maybe we've seen something in, in, in people that we have that sort of direct access to. Another believer, maybe we see that. This morning, or or have seen that recently in our own lives, and we're going, Gosh, there's something lacking there. That this morning we would see that there's something that can be done about it. Paul saw something. This is why he asked that question. But then Paul follows it up and asks another question in verse 3. He says, well, into what then were you baptized? And they responded by saying, into John's baptism. Now, we're not told whether they were Jewish disciples or Gentile disciples. We're just told they were disciples. But if these disciples were Jews, they would have known from the Old Testament scriptures that there is a Holy Spirit not that the holy spirit of god's not mentioned in the old testament he is they would have known that there is a holy spirit and whether they were jewish or greek as this disciples who knew about john's baptism knew about john's teachings they would have known from john the baptist teaching that there is a holy spirit because john himself taught that though he baptized people with water That the Messiah who was going to come would be the one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. We see this in Luke chapter 3 verse 16. So we need to understand that their answer wasn't indicating that they were ignorant of any sort of idea about the Holy Spirit of God. But that the meaning of their answer was that they hadn't heard that the Holy Spirit had actually come had been given in fulfillment of what John had spoken, things that happened after Jesus' ascension and began to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. See, like Apollos, and it's possible even that these men became disciples of Jesus through Apollos' ministry before he was taught more accurately the way of God by Aquila and Priscilla, But their knowledge of the person and work of Jesus was clearly limited. They didn't know the Holy Spirit had been given on the day of Pentecost about 20 years earlier. They hadn't received the baptism with the Holy Spirit personally. But they had been baptized into John's baptism, which Paul goes on to explain was was not a believer's baptism. Where we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it was a baptism of repentance, preparing the hearts of those who stepped into the waters with a heart ready to believe on him who would come after John, that is, on Christ Jesus. These men had participated in John's baptism of repentance. They had believed in Jesus with whatever limited knowledge they had about him, but there was more that God had for them that they were missing out on, and it's likely that Paul would have taught them more about these things Even though Luke doesn't record that explicitly here, which is going to lead to them responding the way that they will in the next couple of verses. So let's continue on and read verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, it says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. When they heard Paul teach them more fully about how John's ministry pointed to Jesus, more fully about Jesus himself, about his ministry, his commission, which included the command to baptize, his, his ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, these 12 disciples responded By then being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, they were water baptized in the authority of Jesus as they identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. And after being water baptized, we see in verse 6 that Paul laid his hands on them, that the Holy Spirit came upon them and that they spoke with tongues and prophesied, which are actually the two gifts that Paul goes on to give an in-depth corrective teaching about to the believers in corinth and 1 corinthians chapter 14 and actually this is the only time recorded in the book of acts where we find paul laying his hands on anyone and praying for them to receive the outpouring of the holy spirit upon their lives now while there are situations where someone will put their faith in jesus they'll receive the indwelling of the holy spirit as they're born again and seemingly simultaneously receive the baptism with the holy spirit also like what we find at the end of acts chapter 10 with cornelius and the rest of the gentiles who had gathered in his home to hear peter preach no laying on of hands was even done they just hear seemingly in the middle of peter's preaching they start you know Speaking in tongues, glorifying God. Peter's like, okay. Um, can anyone forbid water? <laughs> Baptize these guys? But there have been multiple situations throughout the book of Acts where someone put their faith in Jesus and received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. But then there being a gap of time where later on they were baptized or, or filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We, we see this with Jesus' apostles who received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20, verse 22, but then later received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming upon them in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. But we also see this, or we saw this, with the Samaritans who responded in faith to Philip's preaching in Acts chapter 8 where they were saved, they received the indwelling of the Spirit but then a little later on Peter and John came, they laid their hands on them, prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit which they said had not yet fallen upon any of them and they received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Although in that specific instance there was no spiritual gifts being given or manifested. These 12 disciples were found by Paul to be lacking in something God was wanting to pour out upon them freely. And praise God that he led Paul in the questions he asked and the things that he taught them so that this lack would be revealed and then remedied as they received all God had for them by his spirit. I like what David Gutzik said, regarding this section he said god always wants us to go deeper we tend to sip where we could drink deeply we drink deeply where we could wade in and we wade in where we could plunge in and swim most of us need to be encouraged to go deeper and further into the things of the holy spirit he says, if someone, doesn't know, or if someone doesn't seem to know if they have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, it's fair to assume that they don't have it. If you have it, you should know it. And then he quotes Spurgeon, who said, give a man an electric shock and I warrant you, he will know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. Gutz, goes on to say, this isn't something to hope about, we can know one can know they are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. You know, if any of us are lacking the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, we should not be content to stay in that place when God has provided more for us through His Spirit. You know, though being baptized with the Holy Spirit is not a determining factor in our salvation, as saved people, Jesus desires to fill us with his Spirit because he knows we are utterly in need of his power to be his witnesses to the lost, to to have the fruit of God's Spirit abounding in our lives, the the agape love of God, which will result in greater glory to the Father, so that we'll live victoriously over sin and temptation and and, and so that we'll be given spiritual gifts to bless and build up others in Jesus' church. But with that reminder, we have to understand that the greatest indicator of us being filled with the Spirit is not the manifestation of spiritual gifts even though these disciples spoke in tongues and prophesied here. The greatest indicator of being filled with the Spirit isn't that you get Spirit-filled goosebumps. Ooh, I felt it. I felt like I was filled with the Spirit. It's not even about a feeling. The greatest indicator that you and I are being filled with the Spirit of God is actually that... The agape love of God is being produced in and through us. Which Paul wrote about and elevated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 31 all the way through the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to give an opportunity in just a little while for any to stand who would like to have the Holy Spirit come upon them. That word baptize means just to immerse. That we would be immersed in all that the Spirit of God has for us, filling us today. You know, when Paul later wrote to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, he told them that they were to be filled continually with the Spirit. That's actually how it's written in the Greek. That we'd be being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Not a one-time occurrence, but a daily continual occurrence. Receiving from God. But well, let's continue on and read verses 8 through 10. Verse 8: And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily. In the school of Tyrannus, the very first Sith Lord mentioned in the Bible. Darth, Tyrannus, no. Joke. It's a joke. Just like the hook joke earlier, but that one, anyways. There's no Sith Lord in the Bible. Let's just move on. This continued, verse <laughs> verse 10, for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. After ministering to those disciples, Paul picked things up where he left off in his very short stay there in Ephesus at the end of his second missionary journey. And for three months, we're told, he continued to go to the synagogue and to speak boldly about Jesus, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Paul had a way of appealing both to the intellect and to the heart of an individual reasoning and persuading them concerning the things of the kingdom and you can't talk about the things of the kingdom without talking about the king of the kingdom who is jesus there came a point after those three months that some became hardened to what paul was preaching about jesus and his kingdom and would not believe which then turned into some of them speaking evil of the way before the multitude and because of that paul departed he withdrew the disciples that were with him and he began reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. instead they spoke evil of the way which is a term used about six times in the book of acts to refer to christianity and the christian message which is centered on the one who is the way jesus christ i I still love that term I'm of the way. I I like that. Uh, As Paul saw the hardness and unwillingness to believe in some who began to speak evil of them, their message of, of Jesus, he decided to remove the disciples from that environment to bring them with him to this school, the school of Tyrannus, where he reasoned daily, probably using the school during the open or unused hours, In the early afternoon, uh, different scholars talk about how anywhere between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m., it would be like their siesta time. So they'd eat their meal, take a nap, chill out. And uh, probably during those hours, Paul used very possibly renting this school so that he could reason. And, you know, this school was thought to be a place where Greek philosophy was being taught it was definitely a pagan environment and for two years as we see in verse 10 he reasoned daily no doubt preaching the gospel to any unsaved people who were around but definitely more so teaching the believers in Ephesus the word of God so that they would be equipped for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ as he wrote to them later on in Ephesians chapter 4. This was the longest so far that Paul had stayed put in one place in one of his missionary journeys. And we see really the fruit of that decision in verse 10. That all who dwelt in Asia, that region of Asia Minor, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. The the work God did as his word was taught to the believers in Ephesus in those two years... As they met at this school, which gives me great hope for what God could do with us at this school, regardless of being outdoors or indoors, was powerful. Paul didn't have his own building, they didn't have like their own little church building. For the most part, the church met in homes, met outside, met in Solomon's portico early on, when before the church was facing extreme persecution in Jerusalem. They they gathered at the synagogue. And now here he's renting this school that was used for spreading and disseminating Greek philosophy through Asia Minor. And, And here at this school is where the word of God began to go out. Gives me great hope for what God could do with us. All who lived in Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord. This tells us the responsibility of getting God's word out didn't fall solely on Paul. It it doesn't seem Paul traveled at all in those two years he was daily reasoning in that school, which means that those who were being taught the word, who were being equipped for the work of ministry were the ones going out into all the different parts of Asia Minor with the gospel message. And it was through their ministry in those areas that people were getting saved and new churches were being planted. I mean, when we read Jesus' letter to the seven churches in Revelation, those were churches in Asia Minor. Churches that at one point did not exist... That came into existence not just because you know what Paul went there and and the apostle Paul who was used greatly by the Lord this man who had apostolic authority of course God did something through him no there's all these people who we know nothing about that began to go out because they were they were so in awe of who God was they were being fed the Word of God they were being strengthened through the Word they were being equipped by the Word of God and then they were taking that and going you know what someone else needs to hear this and maybe god would want to use me oh so they just start going they didn't need permission to go share the gospel i think some of us feel like we need that permission sometimes Maybe for some of us, and I'm not going to say for all of us, but maybe for some of us we feel like if I'm not getting a direct call of God upon my life, I'm not necessarily going to go and branch out and, and begin to share with other people. We're waiting for some sort of sign in the sky to say, hey, your neighbor needs Jesus before we'll go tell them about Jesus. If we're waiting for those sorts of things, we're going to keep waiting for probably the rest of our lives. Because the understanding of Scripture, the understanding from the Great Commission, is that Jesus has already said, You have my permission. Not only do you have my permission, I'm telling you to go do it. I'm telling you to go make disciples. It's a command I'm giving. And you and I can't make disciples without opening our mouths and telling people about Jesus so that they can be saved and become a disciple. You know, I I think the letter to the church of Colossae is such a great example of this because it becomes clear from that letter that Paul didn't start the church there. Somebody else went shared the gospel a church got started and from what we can gather from the letter paul had never even made it there before he's just writing go i'm i'm hearing about what god's doing with you i haven't been able to see with my own eyes but god's doing amazing things with you guys i've heard about it and now based upon what i've heard i'm writing to you to encourage you to strengthen you in the things of the lord how many of us that are here today, we're, we've been being equipped. We've had God's word poured into us. We may not feel super eloquent. We may not feel super educated. We may not feel super ready. But I hope we take away today that you're equipped. You've been equipped to minister. And that minister could look like a lot of different things. It could just be a wife doing what a wife is to do in the home. It could be a husband doing what he's to do in the home. It could be just a single person living out their singleness unto the Lord. It could be, you know, a, a, a person in a workplace. It could be someone who's the boss. That The Lord has us where he has us. He's equipped us how he's equipped us. Not that that equipping is done but what he's poured in if it just stays with you it's not you're not fulfilling what god has called you to in christ what he's poured in is not meant to stay there it's meant to have an outflow there's got to be some sort of outlet or your and my life is going to become stagnant stagnant Going through the motions. Getting distracted by the things of this world. Getting caught up with lesser things. Temporal things. Missing the the, the better things. Missing the more important things. Missing the eternal things. Missing those spiritual things that God is wanting to do through your and my life. That's always found in relationship to someone else, because that's what ministry is. It's not to a thing. It's a lot easier to have our minist- uh, have a, a mindset where I'm just doing my thing. You can get on the computer, you're doing your work on the computer. it's, it, and it's, can be, it's so much easier than having to interface with another living, breathing person who can rub you all the wrong ways. You don't see eye to eye, you don't agree politically, you don't agree on what you like to eat, they have food allergies that you don't have, sometimes their breath stinks, sometimes your breath stinks, sometimes you have pimples, and all of those things that could deter us from ministry are actually the things that are to drive us deeper In ministry. Because God's heart is for people. It's for people. Jesus didn't come and then he's just walking around town. He's like, This building is now saved. This cow is now saved. His ministry, like, the the building's not causing him any problems. The cow's not causing him any problems. Like, it was people. And people were jacked up to Jesus, stabbed him in the back. Religious leaders, as he's casting out demons, he's ministering, they're like, ah, he has Beelzebub. Like, how jacked up is that? The guy's delivering, Jesus' delivering people, healing and touching, and they're like, he didn't even wash his hands, that little sinner. It sounds funny, but it's true. Like, these are the sorts of things, like, they just look to pick Jesus apart. They wanted to find something wrong. And those are the people that Jesus came to minister to. That he came to serve, that he came to lay out down his life for. And we gain this perspective from Jesus that that's exactly what we're to do Now. You and I have been equipped. We're being equipped so that we can minister to others. We can bring the gospel to the lost. We can encourage and build up other believers. Whatever context that looks like. We need to grab a hold of this. That's not the job solely of a church leader to get the gospel out. It's all of our responsibility. Every single one of us. This also tells us that God knew what he was doing when by his spirit he forbade Paul from preaching the word in Asia. Back in Acts chapter 16, where Paul wanted to preach the word in Asia, no doubt wanting to go to the city of Ephesus, which is the capital of Asia Minor. And the Spirit of God said, you're not going. It's not happening. Guys, we're not going to understand everything about the Holy Spirit, how he wants to work, what his timing and purposes are. But regardless, things get a lot more simple when we just submit to him, when we wait upon him, when we depend fully upon him and stay in that spot where he can fill us continually with himself, being those vessels of honor he can pour into and then pour out of onto others. Listen, in order to be the kind of witnesses that Jesus desires us to be at home with our family members, with our neighbors and our friends and in our workplaces and wherever he places us and with whoever he puts around us, we need the power of his spirit. We need the power of his spirit to represent and reflect him rightly and to testify about him effectively. Let me remind us of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He's speaking to his disciples there. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Guys, we all have our own Jerusalem. Our, our home, our close circle of friends, our workplace, maybe. We have our Samaria, a little further out, maybe, or with a different people group where we're, maybe we're not as connected. And we all have our ends of the earth. That doesn't mean that God's calling every person to. Go smuggle Bibles in China. But he has called us to preach his gospel. He has called us to love with the love of God. He's called us to minister in the power of his spirit, to testify about who Jesus is and what he's done. But he's also given us the power to live those things out. And I want to give an opportunity this morning as the worship team comes back up. I want to give an opportunity. Look, if, if you're here and you're going, as, I, as I'm hearing all of this, like I, I, I see a lack, a lack of victory, a lack of that abundant sort of life that I see Presented in the New Testament, I'm lacking in power to be a witness. I, I'm I'm lacking in the agape love of God. And you're going this morning. Look, if God has more for me by His Spirit, and and you know what? Maybe you've been baptized with the Spirit before. Maybe there's a moment even in your life where you can look back and go, I know that the Spirit of God came upon me. We 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 get even from Ephesians that this overflowing work of the Spirit is something that He's wanting to do continually. And maybe this morning we're going, look, I want to be being filled with the Spirit of God. And and maybe you would stand with me this morning to just say, I I would love to have prayer for that. I would love to be prayed for that this morning, maybe for the first time or, or just for the thousandth time, that the Spirit of God would come upon you. And fill you once more. It's not a sign that you're an incomplete believer. But that you're a believer going, look, like, if God says that there's more, I want whatever he has for me. Is there anybody else that would stand this morning with me and and say that same thing and, and want that same prayer this morning? I know in scripture we do have a couple instances where there's this laying on of hands. There's others where no hands were laid and the spirit still came. But if you're around somebody that's standing, would you just put your hand on them? And I'm gonna I'm gonna pray. I just want you guys to agree with me in prayer this morning as we pray for these that are standing. Father. We're thankful that, Lord, you've saved us. Lord, that the moment you saved us, you sealed us with your spirit. You gave your spirit as a guarantee, as as sort of a, a picture of an engagement ring. Lord, that you have made us new creations in Christ Jesus. All the old things have passed away and all things have become new for us. But Lord, at the same time, as I've heard other preachers say in the past, Lord, sometimes we leak. Lord, we want to be filled with your spirit. Lord, filled to overflowing. Lord God, if you're, you have more for us, God, we want it. And we know that it is not a, a thing, it's a person. The person of the Holy Spirit of God, the the third person of the triune Godhead. Lord God, we are standing this morning just saying, Lord, empty us of us, anything that's not of you. Lord, if we become vessels of dishonor, Lord, cleanse us of those things. Lord, that you would then be able to fill us To pour into us, Lord, to overflowing. God, we're not looking for some sort of an emotional experience. Lord, we are standing and praying in faith, believing that, Lord, as we ask, Lord, that you will fill us. You'll fill us, Lord God. You'll empower us. The promise of the Father, the power from on high. Lord, that you would meet with our hearts this morning, God. We just stand before you. Lord, depending upon you. Lord, humbling ourselves before you. Saying, Father, fill us anew today. Fill us afresh today with your spirit. God, would you give us Lord, power to live for you, to live lives of victory, lives of abundance. Lord God, would you produce your agape love in us that the fruits of the Spirit would be clearly present, Lord, in our lives. God, would you empower us to be your witnesses, Lord. We need your power. Lord, in order to testify to others about who you are. Lord, you've equipped us. And Lord, with that equipping, Lord, we want to do the work of ministry, but God, we know that in our own strength, we can't do it. Lord, we need your power. The giftings of your spirit, Lord, even this morning, would you give us gifts by your spirit? Lord, to build up your church, not for us, but for others. Lord, would you manifest those gifts as you will, Lord God. God, fill us, we ask, and we thank you, Father, that, Lord, you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, Lord, we stand in that confidence, that assurance today. And Lord, we want to go out from this place in the power of your spirit today. Lord, being sensitive to you, being led by you, being empowered by you. God, use us for your kingdom and your glory. You guys can sit. Lord, as we just consider your word this morning, Lord, maybe even today there are some who have gathered with us who don't have a personal saving knowledge of you. Maybe they know about you, but they don't actually know you personally. There's never been a moment where they humbled themselves and they cried out to you and and said, I'm a sinner and I, I need to be saved. Look, you and I cannot save ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord. It's only Jesus And so as we pray once more, Lord, if there are any here or online who have joined us, God, who don't, know you who haven't had that moment in their own lives of surrendering to you, Lord, where they've repented of their sin, turned away from their sin and turned to you by faith. Lord, I pray that, God, even now, you would be speaking into the depths of their hearts. Lord, that there would be that moment of realization that Jesus, you died on the cross for them to pay for their sin, to take their punishment in order to forgive them, Lord, in order to justify them, to make them righteous in the eyes of the Father. And that Jesus, you rose from the grave Showing, Lord, that you have the power over death, that everything that you said is true. I just encourage any today who that's you, you need to make that decision for Jesus that in your own heart you would just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I need your salvation. Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? Would you make me righteous in the eyes of the Father? Would you seal me with your Holy Spirit and save me? Jesus, I repent of my sin and I turn to you by faith. Jesus, I believe that you will save me by your grace so jesus come into my life make me a new creation in christ jesus today i put my trust in you and jesus fill me with your spirit so that i can live for you I just encourage you, if you've done that this morning, if you've humbled yourself before the Lord and cried out to Him and made Him your Savior and Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. Lord, we want to respond to your word this morning, God, with songs of praise. Maybe for some, there's some moments here this morning where they just need to be silent before you and, and just maybe there's things that need to be confessed and repented of in their own lives. And maybe it's not blatant outward sins. Maybe it's inward bad attitudes. Things that need to be changed in their own minds and hearts. God, would you deal with those things this morning? Lord, fill us with your joy and your peace. God, give us great hope in these days that we would make our lives all about you and your kingdom. And so, God, we thank you, we praise you, we give you our songs now, and as we take communion, Lord, we just, Lord, want you to have your way continually. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.